All right, I am so excited uh, for this. So hashtag relationship goals is the name of our new series. And if you're not familiar with the idea of hashtags, it's simply this. You put that little pound sign, that symbol in front of a word or phrase that you want to follow. For instance, if you want to follow what's happening at Hills Alive, you put the hashtag in front of it and you can follow all the conversation and the pictures and the videos that's happening, you know, on social media um, about Hills Alive. And so, or some people will post a picture like this little guy that we're going to put up on the screen right now. And uh, he says, the caption says, if you can't read it, he's looking lovingly at the potato. Get you someone who looks at you the way this little boy looks at potatoes. Relationship goals. And you, you hashtag relationship goals that, po that post and you say, I want a relationship like that. Hashtag relationship goals. This next one, I'll read it for you if you can't see it. It says, if this isn't relationship goals, then nothing is. The caption, this is a caption, uh, the screen grab they grabbed from a news story. It says, elderly couple visit 644 out of 645 Cracker Barrels. And somebody sees that and says, I want that. Hashtag relationship goals. Um, let's keep going. This one says, you and your girl order the same thing and she still does this. And you say again, I want a relationship like that. Hashtag relationship goals. Okay, this last one's unique. Wife steals police car with husband cuffed inside. The subtitle says, <laughs> subtitle says wife of the year candidate right here. So maybe if you're into a life of crime, this is your relationship goal. I don't know. And lastly, maybe this is for some of you this morning, see all, seeing all of these relationship goals and I'm over here like, my goal is relationship, period. And so if that's you, we've got you this morning. And I'm actually going to be talking directly to you in the context of the, the whole room and the family this morning. We're going to be talking about relationships over the next few weeks, what it looks like to be single, what it looks like to be in the dating process, what it looks like to, to be engaged and go through that process and married as a follower of Jesus. Very, very important stuff. And listen, there's going to be good things for all of us to learn along the way. I'm excited for this and I hope you are too. Um, I want to invite you to stand if you can and let's read God's word together as we open up this morning. Would you read this along with me? It's just one short verse. Ready? One, two, three. He works all things according to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Father God, we just thank you for your word this morning. Speak deeply and directly to our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Amen. So about seven years ago now, I had just been let go from a church that had hired me as their worship pastor just in a year and a half prior. They hired me, and then they had to let me go when they realized that their budget couldn't carry the weight of my salary. And so the, the council maybe made a decision that they maybe shouldn't have to bring me on, and it was very unfortunate. Um, we love the church, and we know that God called us there for that season, but it was a difficult time for us, honestly. Um, we, we had spent a lot of money to make the move, and I was desperately looking uh, to God for what was next for us, um, a way that I could help provide for my family. And so there was about... Um, 
if I, if I add them all up, there's probably about 15 different um, kind of churches and church families that we're looking at all along the way. And if you're a believer, you know what it's like. It's not just like you're looking for the right package, right? You're looking for where God is leading you, right? And so it's a different perspective when you're, when you're taking that step of faith as a believer. And so uh, we, we went to all these different churches and some of them, you know, I was in tune with Holy Spirit and I knew even though, you know, this looks good, I just, this, something doesn't feel right, you know. But there was this one church it's actually the biggest church in our district, and um, it's it's a it's a it's interesting. If you, have anybody ever been to Montrose, Colorado? It's kind of hidden in the mountains. It's a beautiful beautiful area uh, in the western slopes, and that is the biggest church in our six uh, state district. And they were looking for a worship pastor, which was kind of a, one of the positions I was kind of leaning into at that time. And um, they uh, went, went through the whole interview process, the, the hiring process. They had hired a third party to do this because they're a larger church and could afford that. And um, we got to the, the kind of the final stage of the interview, and the pastor said, this is what he said. I, could, I, still, I still have to process this a little bit. He said, we're pretty much going to hire you, but we've got another person that's coming in next week. You guys know what happened. They hired the guy that came in the next weekend. And I, I was, I, I lost it a little bit. I, I was kind of mourning that. That was a hard, hard, hard thing for me to hear. Deanna, um, if you don't know her, if you haven't been around her, she has a very discerning spirit, and she knew all along that that wasn't where we're supposed to be. But it took me a little bit longer to process that. Um, there was a few more steps along the way we were looking. Um, there was some pastors and leaders and friends that really spoke into my life. Pastor Tana was one of them, um, you know, just really encouraging us along the way, encouraging me mostly that needed it. And um, somewhere along the way, we, we heard, uh, we caught wind that, there, that Pine Valley Church in Bayfield, Colorado was looking for a youth pastor. I called him up, and I had a slight hesitation in my spirit because I, I could sense that there was something, you know, happening in my life. I'd been in youth ministry, next-gen ministry for my whole entire um, adult life, and um, I could sense there was a, the end to coming to that season. And so I, I, I approached this conversation. Actually, Deanna, again, um, spoke wisdom into my life, and she said, I want you to tell Pastor Scott when you make the initial phone call, tell him what you're sensing in your spirit. And so I was, I was going to tell him, you know, I, I love youth ministry. I've been in youth ministry for almost two decades, and I just sense there's this change coming, and I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I just sense this. And um, before I had a word out of my mouth, Pastor Scott, I, he, I called him, and before I said anything to that, um, he said, you know, we see your giftings, we see your abilities, and I sense, <laughs> he said, before I could say anything, I sense you're going to be here, you're going to build up the youth ministry, you're going to train somebody up, and then you're going to move on to an associate pastor position. I was like, oh, well, praise God. And so the, the amazing thing about it was I, I got to be a youth pastor uh, for, for the last two years there, uh, for actually for the first two years there, and it was the most fruitful season of youth ministry that I'd ever been in, and I was just so thankful to God you know, for that. Um, it was like, kind of like the last hurrah. We, we saw over 120 decisions in two years at our youth ministry down there, and a, and, and a good majority of them plugged into the church, and, and, and it grew, and it was just so, so, so amazing. And then God put me into this associate role, which was really where I was for the year before we came up here, kind of looking at things um, from a more senior role for the first time in my life, which was just God's timing and God's plan. And so um, all that to say, now why tell you that? For this reason, what we want is not always what's best for us. 
And what's best for us, we don't always desire or appreciate. And so some gifts are just more welcome than others. And that's exactly what our time at Pine Valley Church was. It was a gift to God, um, to us and to my family. And why, why didn't I appreciate the offer for the position at first as much? because I didn't know what was in store for me. And it, and it took God's loving and wise direction to give me a gift, even though I wasn't sure about it at the time. And so uh, again, why am I saying all this? Because I don't know if you know or remember this, but Paul, we're talking about singleness this morning, called singleness, a gift. And he said in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, I wish that all of you were as I am. And he's talking about being unmarried. And he says, each of you has your own gift from God, one that has a gift, another has that. So he calls singleness a gift from God, which I know maybe for some of us in the room, that's not really a gift that we want. It's like, oh, well, thank you, Father God, singleness. Uh, like, that's not really something that I was looking for, um, right? But why would he do that if it's your desire to be married? And I, I understand that that's not all of you, but let me just say this. If we believe anything this book says about God, it says that God is the foundation and the fountain of all love and of all wisdom. And so what that means is this scripture Scripture says, the scripture that we read at the beginning this morning, he works all things according to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And what that means is when he gives us something, he is loving and he is wise and he is good. And so that means when he gives us singleness, even if we may not want it at the time, there may be something loving and wise to that. Anybody hear that this morning? And so for some of us, I just want to challenge even our picture of God today, everybody in the room. Do you trust him that the season that he puts you in, as much as you may or may not appreciate it now, just might be good? Can I get an amen? Right? And so yet, I think it's fair to ask the question, why? Why would a loving God give some of us the gift of signals when some of us, not all, but some of us want to be married? Why would he do that? And verse 35 gives us the answer. He says, I say this for your own benefit. He says, this is for your good, in other words. And then he says, not to lay any restraint on you. Literally, it means not to throw a rope around your neck. If some of you are single and want to be married, he's saying, this isn't meant to hurt anyone. God's not trying to trick you. He's not like, let's have the two of them show up at a train in London and then one of them gets on and then they just miss each other. <laughs> he's not doing that. That's, that's not God. This, this isn't something where he's being cruel. So why is he doing it? This is what it says. The text says to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, I don't want anybody in the room to miss this this morning, that God has ordained every human being to live in a season of singleness. Every single one of us, every single one of us will come into the world that way and will spend for most of us a couple decades that way, some longer than others. Um, but God's ordained this particular season for everybody and there is great purpose to it. And this text just told us what it is. It tells us two things. Number one, it said it's to promote good order and two, to secure your undivided devotion. So to promote good order, what does that mean? Another translation says to promote what's appropriate, and that, might, that language might be a little bit easier for us to grasp if you want to write that down, to promote what's appropriate. And when we say something's appropriate, what makes a thing appropriate? It's when it fits the context, right? Um, it's, it's a well-played, 
well-executed response to a given moment. We would call something inappropriate when it doesn't match the context, like wearing a swimsuit to a wedding, right? Is it okay to wear a swimsuit to the beach? Yeah, okay, wearing a swimsuit to a beach is good. And wearing a swimsuit to a wedding, though? Inappropriate! <laughs> Inappropriate. For most weddings. <laughs> Why? It doesn't match the moment. There are things that I can say to my wife that would be loving and kind and right and good and life-giving and rich to say to her as her husband. But if, you know, one of you guys says the same thing, not so much. We've got to fight on our hands, right? <laughs> That's inappropriate. It doesn't match the context. So he's saying that God has ordained that we all live in a season of singleness. Why? Because he wants us to have a worldview and a lifestyle that fits the moment that we're in in history. That God wants to champion a way of thinking, a way of living in all of us. And so he will give us all a season of singleness to cement that in the context that we live in. And so here's the million dollar question. What's the context that we live in? And he said it a few verses earlier, verse 29. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they've had none. Now, let me finish reading this <laughs> before we go. Okay. Those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they have no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. Now, there's a lot going on there that I won't unpack this morning, but here, here's the thing he's not saying. He's not saying ditch your spouse or quit your job. He's not saying that. What he's saying is these things, though they are very important to us, romance, career, these are the things that matter to us, but they're not the ultimate storyline. They're Amen. not the ultimate uh, picture of what we have for you, what I have for you in life. He says these things matter, but they're not the center or the target of what your life's meant to be about. And so don't fixate on them because they're not the essential narrative of the story that we're living in. And you go, okay, what does this mean here? Because if, if, here's the thing. If you took the Bible and you just said, let's pull all out that it says about singleness and dating and relationships and marriage, the Bible speaks to that because it speaks to all of life and cares about the things um, that we care about. And so you have the longest chapter in Genesis chapter 24 about how to find a wife. And then we've got some of Proverbs that we, we, we talked about when we went through the book of Proverbs. You have the Song of Solomon and Ephesians 5. And if we took all these different passages about marriage and relationships, it would probably take up, you know, if this is your Bible, it would probably take up about, you know, this little section, um, you know, if we're generous of, of what's happening in your Bible. So what's the other, you know, 85%? What's the other percent there? With, what the smaller percent is about is the main storyline, <laughs> excuse me, of your life. And these things that matter. And they, they matter, but they're not the main story. That, uh, the, what is the main story? What is the headline that we talk about around here? The, main head, the headline is Jesus, right? That's the main story. He says it early in 1 Corinthians 6. He says that some of you were fornicators, idolaters, thieves, swindlers, and, and people like that, he says, won't inherit the kingdom of God. And he says in so much words, but some of you, you've been washed, you were sanctified, you were justified by Jesus' name and by the Spirit of God. And what he's saying is everyone in this room, everyone in the world has had horrible things perpetrated against us. The world is not what it should be or could be. And there's, there's much wrong that has been done in the world. And Christ just poured out a small fraction 
compassion here in the scriptures of, of the horrible things happening here. And then all of us, if we look inward, if we look at ourselves, we've done horrible things. None of us are what we should be. Every person in here, doesn't matter how much you know, you've, we've attended church, we've, we've done things. And yet, God in his mercy doesn't sweep it under a rug like it's no big deal. God did something about it. He sent Jesus to us. God moved in towards us and he moved to us in our sin, not to condemn, not to shame, but to rescue us out of darkness, to bring his marvelous light, to live the perfect life that we could not, to die the death that we deserve on the cross, to beat death and rise from the grave so that if we put our faith in Jesus, we become something new, transforming thing that happens in our life. Once alienated from God, but then he says, I want to adopt you into my family as sons or daughters and take you out of the chaos of life and put you into the kingdom of Jesus who loves you and has a future for you. Um, and so that's the main storyline. Jesus is the headline and God is building a kingdom for his glory. There might be a few people that are excited about that this morning. That's the main storyline of life, right? And all this is happening in a timetable that's grown very short. That if you look at the eschatological timetable, the end times timetable in the Bible, the last thing left on the calendar is when God stops to watch and this you know, world is over. And those who know him get to be with him. And he says, that's where we are in this home timetable here where we're talking about in this scripture right here in this context. And here's the reality. The amount of time on the clock should affect how we play the game. <laughs> right? Football fan or not, last weekend's Super Bowl was a pretty good game. It was pretty um, entertaining to watch. And I don't know about anybody else, but as I was watching, from my perspective, as I'm watching the first half, I thought to myself, man, the 49ers are making this look easy. Like every throw, didn't it seem like it? They were, they were getting a, a first down every single throw. And I'm, I'm watching the game and it's like, they're going to win this thing. They're, they're going to win this. The Eagles just can't seem to stop them the first half of the game. But then the third and the fourth quarter come and then suddenly Suddenly the game is over and the Eagles nation kind of erupts in this applause, right? And again, I'm no football expert, but I do know enough to know this. You've got to know how much time is on the clock and act accordingly, right? <laughs> okay, I shouldn't have brought it up. But uh, <laughs> side point there. Um, because the amount of time on the clock should affect how you play the game, right? Am I right? Right. And the reality is the time is short. There's a lot of pain out there and we have a solution. And we have, you know, a God who wants to change the lives of hurting people all around us. And here's the point. We should care much more about the status of others' relationship with God than their relationship status with us. And I might need to say that again for the people in the back. I, somebody needs to hear this this morning. It's the most important thing in a relationship. It's the most important thing that we care more about that other person's relationship with God than their relationship status with us. Amen. And the truth is that God has ordained a season of singleness for every single one of us. Think about that. Why? Amen. Because he says in Colossians, all things are made by him and for him, we are made for God. Augustine said this, we are restless until we find rest in thee. Yes. 
that our souls are meant to rest in him. That's where we're meant to live. And the reality is many of us feel that struggle, but we don't realize, hey, this is where we need to live our lives. It's secure in him. And so God, in his mercy, gives us a season where we can all grow close to him. And so you see it in the woman at the well. When Jesus came to her, she had five husbands in her past, right, and was now living with another. And Jesus came to her, and he didn't shame her for her poor dating choices. That's not what he came to do. But what did he do? He came to her and spoke about her deep thirst. He said, if you knew who was talking to you, I would give you a living water that wells up inside of your soul. And so what he's telling her is, you misdiagnosed your need. You've been looking for life in relationships. And he said, you're going from man to man to man, looking for deep satisfaction that only I can give you. You need to come to me. So first we have to get, to say it another way, we have to get our relationship with God right before we'll ever get a relationship with a guy or girl right. And there's a lot of pain in the world when we look for a guy or girl to do what only God can do. There's there's a lot of pain in our country right now because we're looking for princes and princesses to do what only our king can do. And so God in his mercy and his kindness ordains a season of singleness so we can get the main relationship right because dating, although it's great and it's not wrong, it can be very distracting. Here's the thing this morning. Many of you, when we were worshiping, you were singing along, you were in. As I read scriptures, you read along and contemplated them. And when I prayed, you also prayed. And as I've been speaking, you've been listening and assessing what I've said, taking notes. Others of you, you're sitting by somebody cute that has some potential. (laughs) And while we're singing, you're like, oh, my arm just touched theirs. (laughs) What does it mean? (laughs) Right? Or, you know, and you were like, should I put my arms up and worship? Is that that too much? Or maybe I should put one up. I I don't know what I should do. And when it was time to read, it's like, oh, my Lord, do I open up my Bible? What if my arms start shaking? You know, and you're thinking about these things. And when it's time to to pray, you're kind of checking out their shoes to see, you know, if they're uh, cool or sensible. And you're you're kind of getting a smell of her perfume and on and on and on. And there's a distraction that happens there, right? That's why the, the Puritans, they used to separate the men and the women, because if you've ever tried to listen to the word of God preached, sitting next to someone that you're attracted to who smells fantastic, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It can be distracting. So God, in his mercy, gives us a season of singleness to focus on the main thing. Amen. I've got to get a relationship with God right before I'll get a relationship with a guy or girl right. So when Adam and Eve were before God, there was peace and harmony. Vulnerability, yes, but safety. You remove God from that equation, and what do you see instantly? There was violence. There was exploitative sex. There was women being used. You see the relationships kind of break down in ugly ways. We have to get our relationship with God right first. So God, in love and in wisdom, gave us a season of singleness, not to fill it with distractions, not to fill it with distractions, and not just to pursue career. That's not what it's for. But to pursue, what does it say in scripture? Undistracted devotion to him. And yet some of us hear that and you're like, I could be devoted in marriage. I'll come to church with him. Why do I have to be single? So this is what he says in verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. 
But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. So Paul here, he's advocating singleness in this text. And please just hold on for a second um, because we're going we're gonna to get all the way through this. But he says, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it because it, this provides a freedom from the anxieties and the stresses of marriage. That marriage is great. And yet some of you read this and you're like, distracted by pleasing my wife, Sean, that's something that I want. <laughs> uh, here's the thing. Marriage is great, but let me tell you something. There's going to be all kinds of responsibilities that come along with marriage. And, yeah. and you're going to show up in that relationship. And right now you just go to work and you come home and you crash on the couch and maybe you, you know, play some, uh, watch some TV or play some video games. That's over, man. Those days are gone. When marriage comes into the picture, if you're, if you're doing this marriage thing right, you're there for the other person, right? And so some of you are going to have to enter into stores that you've never entered in before, like Bed Bath & Beyond, and for the first time, and you'll have to spend maybe an hour deciding which plates you like better. This one, this one, this one, this one, this one maybe this one. And you know, it's some store that you're at, and, and you're going to have to spend significant time in small talk with in-laws, like, yes, I do have lawn care, you know, <laughs> and have those conversations and figure out stuff like house loans, and you get to spend so much money on refrigerators and things like throw pillows and, and, and that you just don't understand. And it's going to be confusing. And you're going to come home from work and you think, oh, I just get to collapse, you know, and watch TV. No, son, she's going to sit down and say, how was your day? And a sweeping fine isn't going to cut it. Amen. It's, it's not going to cut it. She's going to want some details, and then she's going to want to share details, and I'm still learning this. Deanna will tell you this when she's here at second service. You're going to have to listen with your face. <laughs> You're going to have to listen with your face and with emotions, and you have to keep processing like that if you value your spouse. I mean, look at the married men around here. You wonder why they're tired, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm going to do a whole, whole two weeks on marriage and how great it is. So hold, I said, hold on. So, and ladies, it's the same for you. Verse 34, it says, the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. So there's going to be all kinds of things, ladies, that please your husband that you're not going to want to do. And, and there might even be things that his mama did for him that he just expects you to do. And you're like, no, I'm not cleaning up after you. Um, I, I, I don't have to cook for you. You know, there's going to be some things that we do together or maybe some things that you do. And then some of you, you're going to marry some guy that his level of cleanliness is not just poor, it's unsafe. It's like, how can anybody that is human live like this? It's not right. <laughs> and then what are you going to do? Then you're going to run into something stressful at work and say, I need somebody to process this with. And I don't know, maybe my soulmate who pledges to love me forever, maybe they would want to contemplate this with me. And so you begin to share your heart and they just kind of look at you with their mouth open. And, and you're like, I don't think he understands me. And let me just confirm, as he's getting to figure out this relationship thing, just like you are, that he probably does not. <laughs> 
And then let's bring kids into the mix. Have you ever run across a parent who just seems oblivious sometimes? Like you ask them, like, have you seen the latest TV shows? And the, have you seen this show? No. Have you seen this show? No. Have you, have you seen this show? No. And you're like, how have you not seen any of these? You used to be on top of this. And the response is, I have three kids under the age of seven. I have 30 minutes of discretionary time every single day, which I choose to spend behind the closed door of my bathroom <laughs> because it's the most solitary room in my house. <laughs> And they'll say, I'm so tired, I'm always so... When you're a single, it's a little bit different, right? And so now our unmarried people... No, let me say this. Our married people victims. No. no. I'm overstating a lot this morning to highlight a point. I absolutely love my marriage, just in case anybody was wondering. I'm happily married. I adore Deanna. I love my kids. And I'm happy to have chosen that life. But you know what? Being single is special. It's, it's special. And some people hear that like it's some sort of bad contrast. No, that's something I think the enemy does. We tend to amplify the benefits of some stages of life and downplay its limitations. And we amplify the limitations of our stage and downplay its benefits. Don't do that. Because you'll miss out on a lot of life that way. The enemy does that, and I don't want you to miss out on the opportunities that are before you now if that's where you're at because you're pining away for opportunities of something that you don't have. Do you see that? Do you see that this morning? I love the way Jim Elliott said it, let not our longings slay our appetite for living. Let not our longings slay our appetite for living. And he was saying this to someone who is yearning to be married. It's not wrong to long for that, but don't let the longings slay your appetite for living. You have an opportunity right now to live, and you have some unique opportunities in front of you, specifically as a single person. Now, namely, this is in general, I'm speaking in broad generalities this morning, but you have the freedom and time, particularly as a single adult. You have more of that in general, freedom and time. Whether you are single on the front end of adulthood or widowed, he talks about it in this text, that you have more freedom in this season than any other person. You have time discretionary time that's not as readily available to other people. And these are things not to use to just fill with distraction or to just chase your own ambitions. They are dedicated, as we see in Scripture, by God to pursue an undistracted devotion to Him. That's why we're here, right? That's why we, pursue, we, we might pursue Him, right? And so hear me, please. Paul is not anti-marriage. I'm not anti-marriage. I just want to make sure that we leverage the season that we're in. Another awesome quote from Jim Elliott, wherever you are, he says, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. So you live to the hilt, meaning you're holding nothing back. And how do you do that? Well, he says in verse 32, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. It says how to please the Lord. In 34, the unmarried woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. So let me stop right there. If you're single, does that define your singleness? No. That's the question. Anxiety in this sense means wanting something very much. An anxiety about how to please the Lord, an anxiety about how to be holy, does that define your single experience? Paul is saying that it's the point of it. That's what he's saying here. So if you're missing out on that in your singleness, then yes, let me just say your singleness will become very frustrating. It's like playing basketball without a ball. It's confusing, right? Why are we doing this? <laughs> 
And he says this season is to secure a devotion. And if you're missing that, then this will be a frustrating season. And that doesn't mean that you can't long for marriage. But let me say this. The, the people that I know that seem to be the most satisfied in their singleness, they understand this. I've counseled a lot of young people over the years um, frustrated in their relationship when they were putting God kind of on the back burner and putting the relationship first. But I also watched the flip side of this, um, of that over and over. So I, I would see young adults, as a youth pastor, I would see young adults you know, with, who are single um, coming in and giving just hours of their time investing in the youth ministry and the next generation. And so they were hanging out, they were playing games, you know, they were laughing, they were crying. A lot of them, they would give up a week or sometimes two or three weeks um, in the summer to serve and minister at our camps. I mean, who else can do that? I just love to see that. Not just anybody can do that. But when you're single, you generally have more time, right? It's a possibility. So his nights are free. There's no one at home that he's got to take care of. Um, so what am I going to do? I'm going to learn more about Jesus. I'm going to sow into loving into this next generation. I'm going to help these high school kids because I know what it's like to be them. I just was them. And I know what they're struggling with, so I'm going to invest in them. And so... Some of you that work with students, you know that there's a lot of kids that don't have support at home. And, and so some of them even hardly even see their parents. Or when they do, they're, they're angry or maybe intoxicated or uninterested or uninvolved. And all you have to do with those kids is just to show up, just to be there. All you have to do is to have the time to say, hey, I see you. You're going to be fine. God loves you. He's got purpose for your life. Um, but this situation and you're in, it's okay to say, it stinks. But God loves you and I'm here. And I don't think hardly anything means more to a person than when they know that you're invested in them. But I think it's especially important and true for a teenager. And so I always love to see young adults kind of come in and plug into mystery uh, and speak into students' lives like that. They have the freedom many times to make that investment. And that's what I want for us to think about this morning. If this is the season of your life that you're in, you know what? I've got freedom and I've got time and I don't want to pine away and wait till this season's over. I, don't, I want to throw the pedal down and I want to go for it. I want to go for it and make a difference with the freedom in this time that I've been given by God, and I want to maximize it. Um, that's, and that's what you get to do with singleness. This season's going to end either by marriage or by death. And when I hit the end of this chapter, I want to say that I did it well. I, I led um, in our district hosted a youth leadership event a couple years ago. And um, the opening night, uh, many of you know Jesse Cruikshank. She was my direct uh, supervisor. She came and spoke at our fire conference this last year. Um, she wanted to surprise the youth groups with the meal that we served on that opening night. And the largest portion of students, when they came, um, they were served uh, buckets of white rice. With I think the only other thing that they had was some flour tortillas that they used to dip it, and that was the meal. And so you can imagine their surprise. Um, and they, they didn't even get a, a, a chair to sit on. They sat on the floor. And then the next uh, uh, group up was a, s a smaller group, and we, I think there was maybe about four different groups. Um, and, you know, varying in size as the next group, they got chairs and they got a little bit of protein with their rice and their tortillas. And then the last group, which was the smallest, they got to sit at a table, which was nicely decorated with candles and desserts and food and a steak meal and mashed potatoes. I mean, and everything, all of the fixings. They got to sit in the middle of the room and everybody got to watch each other eat. So what this was, was an exercise to illustrate in a very powerful way the percentage of food and starvation and poverty uh, and show the percentages in real time and how that affects 
you know, us as in the world that we live in, in the world. And so one of our girls that was from the Pine Valley Youth Group, she went home and was really, really affected by that. Um, and she decided that she wanted to do something about this problem. She was, I believe, a sophomore at the time. She immediately went home and she started a fundraising effort at her school. Um, we partnered with her to, to, to kind of connect with the organization. And she raised enough funds to feed an orphanage through a Christian organization for three months. Three months. Just because she, she went home and decided that she wanted to do something about it. Isn't that amazing? I mean, she, she filled up her life with something of value. <laughs> In contrast, just think about it for just a second. The average American spends 10,000 hours playing video games by the time they turn age 21. <laughs> it takes less than half of that to earn a bachelor's degree. So let me say this. I don't care if you play video games. I really don't. And if you do, enjoy them. If you're like me, I enjoy video games. That's awesome. But count the hours. Number your days, Scripture says. That, that's a major part of your life, 10,000 hours. And I would just ask you, don't spend the season saving fantasy worlds while the real world's on fire. Another statistic, the average um, young person in America spends seven and a half to eight hours looking at the screen every day. And I would just beg you, don't spend all this time watching other people's lives and neglect living your own because there's a world out there that's in need. We have whole cities hemorrhaging and in pain and you've been given a unique season and a moment and an opportunity to leverage what God's given you for devotion to him and to those people. And so you can make a difference in the world with your singleness. When you're single... You have uh, freedom, time, and your living costs are not as high. So when a missions opportunity comes up or a giving opportunity comes up, you are more available in general. Whenever the fabric of society is breaking and the world's hurting, you can go there and use your skills and you can help alleviate human suffering. Your schedule and your wallet is not open or available as much when you leave this season. So that's a limitation for people that are in relationships that they didn't used to have. And so take advantage of that. You know, go and make a difference. Leverage your singleness for kingdom impact. That's an amazing gift that you've been given, so leverage it. Um, so how do you do it? Let me just land with this this morning. Singleness is for devotion to the Lord. That's the scripture that we read earlier. That word devotion in Greek is a combination of two words, good and beside. So what he's saying there is get really good at being close or beside the Lord. Get really good at being close or beside the Lord. That's what singleness is for. It's like a, a waiter. A good waiter is attentive. What does that mean? It means they're attentive to your words. They're attentive to your needs. They're listening to what you want. They're attentive to, to, to your desires. They're going to get you what you need. And I think devotion carries those twin ideas, what we see in Scripture here. If I'm good at being beside the Lord, I'm good at sitting beside him and wanting to hear his word, but I'm also good at serving the ways that he's desired for me to serve. So I'm attentive to both his word and I'm attentive to his work. That's what it means to be devoted. I'm close to him so I can get a sense of his purpose from this proximity, and then I'm going to go out and live that purpose in my life. So be attentive to his word. Use this time to dig into scripture. Many of us will say that we believe in the word of God, but we spend little time reading it. And so I know I was convicted when I came into Bible college as a young man um, I said that I believe this, and I said that for years, you know, I believed it, and, you know, I say years, but, you know, as a young adult, as a young teenager growing up, I believe these words are the words of God, but I hadn't read most of them. 
And so there were a couple books in the Bible, and I'd, and I'd read a bunch of verses, usually the ones that made it onto T-shirts and coffee mugs. Um, but there was a lot in there that I had never read yet. And so I was like, I'm going to dig into the whole Bible. And I remember it was a struggle at first. Everything was a distraction. And so I had to remove distractions. I had to unplug stuff. I had to remove myself physically from the TV room. And I spent time journaling through the books of the Bible. And I did that partly because I learned more, but also because it made me go slow. And, and I would just go slow and let it get into me. And, and, and what I was doing was I was building pathways in my brain. Science tells us that our thoughts travel down a pathway. And so for many of us, those pathways are being burned by whatever we're feeding it, right? By our social media stream or whatever music we're listening to. And I just determined in myself, I want my thought process to flow along with the word of God. I want wisdom from Proverbs to be one of those pathways um, to make me wise. And I want to speak to the way that I deal with people. So I'm going to read the Proverbs that way. I want his thoughts about my identity. So I want his word to shape my words. I want to be shaped by him. And so use your season of singleness to spend time getting to know him, what he's like, and be changed by him, right? Prioritize, you know, coming here and growing in community. Prioritize studying the word of God and then be attentive to his work. Get involved with what he's doing, but also in your neighborhood and around the world. See where the fabric of society is breaking and lean in. That is our great privilege to be called as the church. And if we live here as the people of Jesus, the city should feel that we exist, right? We should be lights shining bright, and they should feel we exist when we lean in and make a difference, leveraging our lives in a way like that sophomore girl in high school did, raising all that money for the hungry. You know, what did most of us do our sophomore year? We were riding our dirt bikes and playing video games, right? <laughs> but what if, you know, we... I don't know what we're, but she took the initiative on what the Holy Spirit had charged for her to do, changing the lives of families in Jesus' name. What a great job of using her singleness to leverage that to change people's stories forever. Amen? And so God is not callous. Some of you are single and loving it, while some of you are single and longing to be married. And I'm not telling you that God devalues that longing. Please hear that this morning. The longest chapter in Genesis, again, is about finding a spouse. And you know God says whoever finds a wife, it is a great thing, right? Remember that scripture? It's good to be married. But there's also a gift to the season of singleness. And I just don't want anyone in the room to miss it. It is a freedom for a time and for a season. And it has a purpose. And that purpose is not just waiting for marriage. If, If it was, think about this then Jesus and Apostle Paul were failures. And I don't think anybody's willing to say that. Singleness is to be leveraged for undistracted devotion to the Lord. So the last question is this, because somebody's going to ask. After reading through these texts, is singleness more spiritual? Is being single more spiritual? We're reading through this, and you might think that Paul seems to say that it is. You read verses like verse 8. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. And then it says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than burn with passion. My mom very boldly quoted that scripture to Deanna and I when we were in our fourth year of dating. And we hung up the phone. <laughs> we, were, we were down in Dallas. Uh, and, 
Okay, okay, sorry. <laughs> and we hung up the phone and we decided maybe she's right, maybe Paul's right, let's get married. And some of you read that and you think, well, I'm on fire, bring on the spouse, right? <laughs> and that's easy for you. Others of you are like, I don't know, I really want to be devoted to the Lord. So if he wants me to be single, you know, I guess I will be. How do I process that? What do you do with that? Well, Jesus spoke to it in Matthew 19, verse 12. He says, <laughs> There are eunuchs who have been so from birth. Pastor Sean, that took a turn. <laughs> so I don't have time to go into what a eunuch is. You can ask the welcome team or the greeters or Pastor Derek on the way out. Um, but uh, <laughs> they love answering those kind of questions. Just kidding. Um, it's, it's, it's someone through an unfortunate set of circumstances not able to have kids, which often in the day meant that you're not getting married either. So there are eunuchs who have been so from birth and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. That's an unfortunate category. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So he's not saying that they did something to themselves surgically. He's saying they chose a life of singleness and not being parents in order to leverage the freedom of singleness for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus did this to leverage his life for us. Paul did this. And so is it more spiritual to do that? Some of you might be wondering, well, verse 11, one verse before says, but he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. So what he's saying there is God's going to give you a grace for the moment. If he puts you in a position, he's going to give you the power to live in that position. So for some of us in this room, he's given you a season of singleness, which has great purpose. And he will give you the power to sustain you in that season. And that season will end in marriage for some of you, statistically, for most people in the room. Some of you, though, he will position you with the power and the resources. And your drive to be married will decrease and you won't want it. And you'll be like Paul who says, I like the freedom of singleness and I'm going to leverage it for God's kingdom. That happens. And some of you will proceed that way. And let me just say, as your pastor, I am so happy and thankful for you. Please hear this from the church that, you know, you don't have to have anybody in the church telling you that, you know, you need to get married um, because you are in a season of singleness for a reason and it has a great, great purpose. Amen? Amen? Okay. So, is one better than the other? Paul says this will be given to some. God will give that to you. Others, you don't have to try to force it. He'll take care of you, and you can trust him in that. It's fascinating when you look at the New Testament that the New Testament leaders of the church were Peter and Paul. Peter was married, and he had kids. Paul was single. And what I love about that reality of the early church is that it's the same reality about our church. God's church is built when single people and married people work hand in hand for his purposes. Amen? And so that married couples run together and make a difference and, 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 and single people can join in because in all actuality, we're a family. We're not a cult. Some people hear that word and think it's a cult. <laughs> no, we're, we're sons and daughters of the king is the language that the scriptures use, right? And he's built a family. Let's stand. Ultimately... What we do here is all about him. And it's interesting that Jesus chose singleness. He chose to come to this earth for us. And I love the, that the way he showed up. When, when they asked him, who are you? He said, I'm the bridegroom. He said, I'm the groom. There's a, there's a book in the Old Testament, Isaiah, where a prophet's wife is unfaithful and she doesn't want to be with him and she runs off and she goes crazy in the city, sleeps around, 
and, and begins to sell her body for money. And, and when she hits the lowest point and is broke and abused and used, he goes and finds her, the prophet does, and pays full price to bring her home. And he says, I will draw you out into the desert and speak tenderly to you and give you back your vineyards. And you're, you're not gonna call me master like, the, like they did. You're gonna call me husband. And I'm gonna love you. And when Jesus was asked, who are you? He said, I'm the groom, the bridegroom's here. But my people have gone astray. We've, we've, we've chased satisfaction. We've gone into a lot of broken places and it's not worked great for us. But he didn't come to shame. He didn't come to condemn. He came with kindness and he came to give us living water that would overflow from our bellies, right? He came to be the perfect human being that we were not. He died the death that, that we deserved. And then he rose from the dead that whoever puts their faith in him would not perish, but would have life and have it abundantly, like a never-ending source, a well that's inside of us that springs forth, that he wants us to get our relationship with God right, and then a relationship with a guy or girl can be right. But the beautiful thing about this today is wherever you are, you can trust this, single or married, he is good. He is good, and we can trust him. He is worthy of your trust. You were made to be devoted to him and to give everything because he gave all for you. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. God, I thank you for um, our family, God, this morning that we can have this conversation. And it's an important one for all of us to hear. For the grandparents in the room to be able to speak into their young ones and their family, God, for the young people that are in the season of singleness right now. I pray, Lord, that people that are in the season would, would find themselves in a place of devotion. God, set aside a time and a season for us, Lord, all of us. There's wisdom for all of us in the room this morning. For those of us that are married, God, I pray that we would live lives that are devoted as well. Devoted to our husbands and wives, but also devoted to you. God, we say we love you this morning. Your love is perfect love. It casts out fear. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus this morning, if that's you. If you're here and you've never done that before, I want to invite you into a relationship with the one um, who brings light into dark places, and he's a rescue. You may have said yes to him before, but you're in a place right now where you need to re-surrender, or maybe it's the first time this morning. If that's you, I don't want to embarrass you. That's why all, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Just raise your hand. I just want to pray with you this morning. Just raise it up quickly. We want to agree with you this morning. All right, church, let's pray this together. Father God, I give you my heart. I give you my life. All that I am is yours. I surrender. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your life laid down. Thank you for paying for my sins and being my rescue. Be the Lord of my life. I'm following you today. In your name I pray, amen and amen.